You know those sermons uh, that begin with, so I watched this TED Talk recently. So I watched this TED Talk recently <laughs> by, a, um, by a BuzzFeed publisher. Um, yes. <laughs> Named Dow Guin. I know that's not how you pronounce her name, but the name of the talk was What Makes Something Go Viral? It's really interesting. You can find it on YouTube. It's 10 minutes. And Dow shares this story about a prank that some of the BuzzFeed employees pulled on their boss, Z. Frank, for his birthday. So this was during the early days of Facebook Live, and they were kind of testing this medium to see if this is something BuzzFeed could gain a lot of attention through. And so they pulled this prank where they basically packed in a bunch of baby goats into Z. Frank's office. And so they turned on the Facebook Live to see if anybody would join in. And so they thought it would just be kind of BuzzFeed people and and some of their staff. But the videos started getting shared around and people started watching. And by the time Frank walked into his office, more than 90,000 people were watching, like waiting for his response. Um, They were interested and, and they were And BuzzFeed folks were amazed at those numbers. They just never thought 90,000 people would be interested in this. And so they started researching what makes something go viral and what in other videos doesn't work, basically. And so they experimented with all sorts of studies and all sorts of uh, videos. And so one of the videos that they made was basically they had two BuzzFeed employees standing in a room that was like lined with cellophane. And they started wrapping rubber bands around a watermelon just one at a time. And they put it on Facebook Live and people started sharing this thing. And there, there they are, like 200 rubber bands, 250 rubber bands, and people are still sharing it. 300, 400 rubber bands. By the time the 690th rubber band went on to the watermelon and made it explode, more than 800,000 people were watching this video live. So through their experiments and through their studies, what they found was that Often it's people who are wanting to come together over a shared anticipation of something that makes people tune into something like this. Like there's a there's an excitement and a shared anticipation that something big is about to happen. And that's what makes things go viral. They want to be a part of something. We get that, right? Like, we feel that. We all want to be a part of something big. It's why we go to football games. It's why you get so excited when the buses start circling the stadium. We want to be a part of something big. It's why some of you pick the major that you picked, right? Because you think that major is going to help you get in right at the right time with that one particular company so that you might be a part of the next big thing. I get that. I think you know where we might be going with this. In the story of Acts... Something big is happening. Something big is happening and it's changing the entire world. And we're seeing the gospel essentially going viral. And that's happening big time in this passage, as we'll see as we go along. What started, just remember a few weeks ago in our study, if you were with us, it started with a band of misfits in an upper room, less than 150 people, has now spread across the Roman Empire. Thousands of people are joining in. The audience is growing. They want to be a part of something big, and it's just getting started. So here in chapter 8, there are some really significant things that are happening in the church global, and primarily through the ministry of Philip, this deacon slash evangelist. This guy's great. We see him go to the Samaritans in the passage just before this, this otherwise hated half-breed rivals to the Jews. And Philip opened up the word of God to them. And it says God opened up their hearts to the word. And 
they began to change. And some of the Samaritans were filled with rejoicing. Then Philip moves along by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to the next town to have a holy conversation with a man that we simply know of as the Ethiopian eunuch. So who is this guy? For one, we could say that he was a very unlikely candidate for the early Christian church. At least at that time, because the church at this point, if you remember, is made up mostly of Jewish converts from various regions, but similar backgrounds religiously. But this man, this eunuch, was not a Jew. He was certainly a Gentile. Yet we find that he is interested in the God of Israel. He might be what we call today a seeker. He's interested. He's not committed, but he's learning more. And we know this because Luke tells us that he has gone up to Jerusalem and now he's returning when he met Philip on this path between Jerusalem and Gaza. This was like a, a strip of land that's basically the last stop to get water. And so in all likelihood, this man most likely had, was returning from his attempt to visit the temple. Where he had been rejected. The Ethiopian eunuch was alienated and marginalized from the faith community in Jerusalem. That's significant to this story. He was on the outside looking in. And he was on the outside literally in the outer courts of the temple at that day. Not because he was poor or something. Because actually he's very rich. You can see it in the passage, right? Luke tells us that he works for the Ethiopian queen. He's essentially serving as the CFO uh, for that particular empire in charge of all the treasury. He was successful, powerful, wealthy. And he was marginalized because of who he was. Both his ethnic identity and we would even say because of his sexually altered state. Why was he a eunuch? Let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, In that region, you couldn't work for the elite unless you were willing to be castrated. Because if you were a commoner and you wanted to work for somebody in power like the Ethiopian court, you wouldn't be trusted unless you could prove your loyalty. So one of the ways they proved their loyalty was ultimately uh, tested by becoming sexually altered. Guaranteeing that you would choose the royal family over choosing to have a family of your own. That's the statement that's being made here. If you wanted to be rich and powerful, you had to sacrifice for it. You had to sacrifice even your own family. And that's what this man had done. So to review... Who is this guy? This man is a successful, powerful, black African man who's in this position in this empire. Yet he had been barred from the inner courts to the temple. So it begs the question. Begs the question. If you're a part of a faith community, who are you already counting out? That's what's happening here, right? He's been barred from the faith community. Who might you be counting out? From your faith community. Because of who they are. Because of where they're from. Because of what they look like. Because of what choices they've made in life. And what ways might you be thinking. Even here. Even in RUF. That they would never fit in here. Because notice that even though this man was on the margins of the Jewish society. He was not on the margins of God's view. He was not in the peripheral. Of God's vision. Because he, he was, even though he was seeking the Jewish God, as this passage puts it, we know that's true because the Jewish God of Israel was seeking him. 
And we see this because in the book of Isaiah, this is so interesting. This book, the man was reading was Isaiah and he was struggling to understand it. God says something about eunuchs in the book of Isaiah. Through Isaiah, the Lord promises, let not the eunuch say I'm a dry tree. For the Lord says to eunuchs, I will give them a family. It's interesting. The Lord says to eunuchs, I will give them a family. I will give them a home. I will give them an everlasting name. God has eunuchs in mind. And not just eunuchs, God has Ethiopians in mind. All throughout the Old Testament, there are specific references to God's intention to redeem even Ethiopians. There's a passage from another prophet that says, From beyond the rivers of Cush, that is Ethiopia, my worshipers, my scattered people will bring me offerings. You see, here's the point. No one is marginalized from access to the kingdom of God. There are no barriers to access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. No ethnic barrier, no racial barrier, no sexual barrier, no socioeconomic barrier. All are welcome. Our only barrier into the kingdom of God is our sin. And for our sin, we would need a savior. We would need a sacrifice. And so you might look at this successful man and see someone who would not need a savior, right? Wouldn't he have everything that he wanted? He sacrificed for it. He's in this great position. He's on a chariot, y'all. Like he is, he's killing it right now. And you would see like what? Why would he want something more than what he has right now? He's in a position that many of you would want to be in, in terms of success. He had it all. Yet we see that he's still searching. I know that you can actually identify with him in that. And I can too. Because sometimes you you think, well, I've kind of got it all. Like there's so many things that are going well, but I'm still hungry for more, right? You are at the school of your dreams, many of you, but it's not quite enough, is it? You may be making great grades, but couldn't you make a little bit better on that test? Like you may have some really good friends, but like you need more of them or deeper friendships. You may be having a great time, but you want to have like the most amazing time. Like we're always looking for something more. We're never truly, truly satisfied. You may have all of the relationships and money and intellect and influence, but something still be missing. Scott Sauls says in his great book, Jesus Outside the Lines, I love that book. He says some of the world's wealthiest people have experienced letdown when they finally reach their coveted number. And he gives this list of examples. Listen to what he says. The story goes that having made millions in the oil industry, John D. Rockefeller was asked how much money was enough. His answer, do you remember? One more dollar. It's John D. Rockefeller. Quarterback Tom Brady, who when, uh, when Sauls wrote this, had won four Super Bowls. Now he's won five Super Bowls. He's married to America's and one of the world's top supermodels. And together they earn around $100 million a year. Tom Brady, I actually... Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine today who actually played in the NFL with Tom Brady. He, he knew him and he said, has anyone ever accomplished anything more than Tom Brady? Yet, he's said in interviews that there, there has to be something more than this. This can't be all there is in life. It's Tom Brady. Kobe Bryant, who by the age of 24 had millions of dollars, a beautiful wife, a beachfront mansion, told Newsweek he didn't believe in happiness at all. Like you hear it, right? They have everything. 
It's actually my hope that we hear this story and we don't just like feel bad for the Ethiopian eunuch in his searching. We identify with him. Sacrificing in order to get to the position that we so desperately want, yet still empty. Because here he is outside of Jerusalem, feeling empty, trying to understand what the prophet Isaiah is saying, and he needs help. Who in the known Christian world would ever come alongside this guy and help him? Enter Philip the evangelist. God provides the means for this man who is searching. So before I show you what I mean by the means of evangelism, let's talk about what evangelism means. Evangelism. I'm I'm so curious of what comes to mind for you when you hear that word evangelism. For some of you, um, you're kind of like, I know that's like a churchy word. I have no idea what it means. And you think of evangelicals and you think of politics and all the things and all the mess that that is in America today. Some of you are very familiar with the term evangelism and you just hear guilt. Oh, that's the thing I'm supposed to be doing. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And you, so there's all sorts of ways that you picture evangelism, right? Um, or maybe for you, you hear evangelism, you think evangelist, and you think of the TV preachers who make millions, and then there's the scandals. Or you think of the guys who yell at the drunk people outside of the bars on the streets, and you think that's what evangelists do. So for that reason, I know the term is loaded. I want to talk a little bit about what it means and what it might look like. At its root, the word simply means gospelism. Evangel is the word for gospel, gospelism. Gospel is the word that simply means good news. So evangelism at its definition base means good news-ism. It's the practice of good news. It's the proclaiming of good news. Even still, if we're all on the same page about that's what the word means, I think different groups of people mean different things when they use the word evangelism, even among like-minded friends and like-minded believers. I'll give you this example. A friend of mine who works for another campus ministry asked me one time, he said, Reed, what does RUF do about evangelism? What does RUF do about evangelism? I'm curious of how you might answer that question. What does RUF do about evangelism? I think mostly our first instinct is to describe some narrow practice, right? Like some sort of training or some sort of event. But I take evangelism to be multifaceted. I think of it to be varied beyond one kind of idea of it. Its message is narrow. Yes, it's announcing the good news specifically of Jesus Christ, that he came into the world to save sinners. That's the good news of the good news-ism. But the ways in which that message might be communicated could be varied. It could be very broad. The practice of evangelism can look like a lot of different things. So my answer to the question, what does RUF do about evangelism? Let me give you some of my answers. We have a large group where we preach the word every week. This is evangelism. This is what you see all throughout the New Testament. Proclaiming God's word even through the preaching of the word. That is evangelism at its heart. We encourage you to bring your friends who are asking questions. We encourage you, if you're asking questions about Christianity, if you're a skeptic in any way, we would love to talk to you. This is what we do. This is the message we proclaim every week. But evangelism is also what you do in your small groups. When you sit around and you open the scriptures together and you talk, that's evangelism. 
Evangelism also can look like one-on-one settings. It's what you do when you talk to your roommate about what you believe and why your faith actually impacts the things that you do. The decisions that you make with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Why you are going out or not going out and how it affects the way that you relate to the world around you. That's evangelism. Yes, it is going to some non-Christian that exists somewhere out there in your life and going and presenting them some specific doctrine. But it's, it is that, but it's not only that. It's not less than that, but it's so much more than that. Does that make sense? That's evangelism. Uh, did y'all ever get into that show, Arrested Development? Did you ever watch Arrested Development? Gosh, how ridiculous is that show? Buster Bluth. Let's talk about Buster Bluth. We can just spend the night talking about Buster Bluth. What a brilliant character he is. Um, I actually want to talk about the real Buster Bluth. Tony Hell is the guy who plays Buster Bluth. And he's a Christian in Hollywood. You may not know this about Tony Hell. He's, he's very famous these days. He's on the Veep and all sorts of other things. Uh, but he's a believer, and he's very open with, about his faith. And I listened to an interview with him uh, recently. It's, it's a, a podcast I listen to called Q Conversations. I'm just going to recommend that one as well. Q Conversations is, is sharing ideas about how faith impacts the world. And so there's an interview with Tony on there where the, the guy basically asked him very kind of open-ended question. What does your faith look like for you in Hollywood? Like, how do you talk about what you believe? I'm going to read you his answer. So picture Buster Bluth answering this, which is funny to me. But uh, Tony Hell is the guy's name. He says, so humbly, he begins by saying, I can only talk about the mistakes that I've made and what I've learned through them. When I first came to L.A., I kind of had the idea of like, what's God going to do through me? And he said he just kind of marched in like, what's God going to do through me here? And honestly, he says, I think I probably during that season pushed people away from God. Because the only person that needed to change was me. I needed to realize that I had a lot of arrogance. That I talked and spoke to people more than listened to them. None of that is bridge building. So I go back to the fact that I am a mess. I am a huge work in progress. And when I'm honest about that and I talk to people and I hear their stories, then I can communicate that my faith is everything to me. And I can hear where everyone else is and I can ask them to tell me about where they are. He said, I used to have a very, a a real us versus them mentality. I think some of you can agree with that and identify with that us versus them mentality. He said, I'm not proud of that, but hopefully through the years of realizing that I can now try to stop talking so much and begin to listen. I love his point there that, that evangelism isn't just talking at people, right? It's not talking to people, making sure they get what you've got to say. It's listening. It's engaging. It's building relationships, bridge building. As he put it. So how was the gospel communicated to the Ethiopian eunuch? Through the willing availability and humility of a faithful brother named Philip. As we saw earlier, Philip has already been preaching Christ to people you would never expect to join the church. And God has used them among the Samaritans and others. And now God leads him down this path to find a man who, didn't, who he didn't know from Adam. Now reading a passage from Isaiah. And with great boldness and kindness, and I imagine humility, Philip approaches him and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And he replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And then my favorite part, just picture it. My favorite part, the text says he invited Philip to join him in his chariot. This man who has been rejected by religious people in Jerusalem 
now seeking to understand more about this God of the scriptures, meets another religious man who's willing to walk with him through the scriptures patiently. And they sit on a chariot and they start reading Isaiah, specifically what we know of as Isaiah 53. And so Philip comes along this seeker, alongside this seeker, and he begins to show him that the Messiah described in the passage that he was reading was not pointing to someone who would come in a position of power like the Jews were waiting for, but rather he would come in humility, like born in an animal trough, humility. That he wouldn't remain separate from the common people and put himself in some high military position, but but rather he would hang out with the otherwise outcast of society. That he wouldn't bring a, a military might and political victory, but he would come to bring a victory and a kingdom that would grow ever so slowly at times, but completely change the world through the grace and love and justice and hope. Even in this passage, the prophecy is of a Messiah who would suffer for the sake of his people. And here, listen to this. And here in this chariot is a man who knows something about suffering. Who knows what it's like to be rejected. Who knows what it's like to be alienated. And he hears of this Messiah who, quote, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. And you can almost hear the tears in his voice as the Ethiopian eunuch cries out to Philip. Who is this man? And then in 34, Philip simply opened his mouth, Luke tells us. And beginning with the scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. In other words, he didn't talk at him. He had a conversation with him. He listened and in humility, he responded with the good news of Jesus Christ. This is evangelism in its purest sense. Philip was the means of evangelism for the Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip used the very scriptures that he was reading as the means through which to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what happened? What came as a result of this conversion? Well, for one, a new member was added to the church. Right. You see, at the end of the passage, a new member was added to the church. And this is so significant because this is perhaps the first non-Jew convert. Remember, this is before the Cornelius passage that we talked about last week. Many scholars suggest that this amazing thought, the first non-Jew member of the Christian church was a black man from Africa. Here's why that's significant, even for us today, because Christianity from the outset was not and it is not a white man's religion. I think that's a message that's got mixed into the southern culture of America and the southern church. This is an all tribes religion, all peoples, all nations religion, even your brand of Christianity, whatever that might be. It's not just for your brand of people, whoever that might be. Picture it. In this passage, you have most likely an olive-skinned Jewish convert now baptizing a black African. And that's the church. What a beautiful picture. This is the look of a cross-cultural and cultural barrier-destroying church 
that's about to change the world. The beauty of Christianity is found in the diversity of the church that Jesus Christ is building and the kingdom that he's building in the world that is to come. Why would we not want to experience that beauty today? What makes something go viral? Some would suggest a shared anticipation over the idea that something big is about to happen. One of the most challenging and encouraging things for me last week as we listened to Russ Whitfield was his conclusion at the end when he said, what if RUF began to give the people at Clemson a glimpse of the kingdom that is to come? What if RUF began to give this campus and this place a glimpse of the kingdom that is to come? You know, you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. What do you mean by that? Do you know the kingdom that is coming? What makes something go viral? Oftentimes it's really good news. And the text tells us that after the baptism, Philip went on his way to the next mission and the Ethiopian man went on his way rejoicing. In fact, history would suggest and historians suggest that the eunuch was not just the first non-Jewish member of the church, but he was also the very one to carry the message of Jesus Christ to Africa. In other words, someone that the religious community had completely counted out was now serving as the very conduit for the growth of the church in a place that perhaps no one thought the gospel would ever go. That's amazing. Russ told me a phrase last week that he had read in a book, and just, it just stuck with me all week, that how the gospel moves forward through men and women like this. This is the phrase that he read called the sneezeability of the gospel. See, that's the title of our message tonight. The sneezeability of the gospel. What do we mean by that? Once you catch it, you can't hold it back. And it just spreads. The sneezeability of the gospel. I love the picture of that. The Ethiopian man caught it. And he went on his way rejoicing. Sneezing all over the place. And to think Philip probably had no idea what happened to this guy. What about you? Have you called it? Have you called it? Is the gospel sneezable to you? I want to talk to two groups as we close. Two specific groups that are in here tonight. First, the seeker. You may identify with this Ethiopian man. I want to talk to you first. I wonder if some of you feel isolated by the religious community. You feel alienated because of who you are, what you look like, something that you've done, where you're from, what you sound like. I don't know what it is for you. But you feel isolated. You want to understand more about God, but it seems like his people are the ones who keep getting in the way. You're someone who's suffered and you're looking for someone to make sense of your suffering. I I want to talk to you. I want to encourage you to keep seeking. Maybe that sounds redundant, but I want to encourage you to keep seeking. Keep asking questions and specifically seek the Christ of the scriptures, the very one that this man was seeking and ultimately found. I'm I'm glad you're here because that's what we're going to talk about every week. We would love for you to 
come and be a part of these conversations. We're going to always talk about Jesus and who he is and that he came into the world to save people like you and like me. He came to die for people like you and like me so that we might find God after all through him. So look to the Bible. Take your questions to someone. I would love to talk to you. Anyone on our staff would love to talk to you, engage with you on your questions. You might be seeking God, but let me encourage you with this. God is seeking you. And Jesus even came into the world to suffer for those like you who are suffering. He suffered. He knew pain. And he entered into it for the sake of bringing you out of it. Jesus was alienated in this world for people like maybe you who feel alienated in this world. This is the Jesus that you're seeking. Look to him and trust him to meet you right where you are and you're seeking. That's my first group that I want to talk to. The second group I want to talk to are you evangelist. And hint, if you're a Christian, I'm talking to you. Okay, You may not feel like an evangelist, but you're called into this mission. It's time for you to start talking. Not talking at or just talking to. It's time for you to open your mouth, right? What makes something go viral? A shared anticipation that something big is about to happen. Something big is already happening. And you are already a part of it. The church of Jesus Christ is growing, expanding, exploding across the world. Jesus said of it, the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Something big is happening. And you are a part of it if you are a Christian. Jesus is building his church and he's calling you to be a part of the work of turning the world upside down. And so do you want to be an evangelist? You already are one. Because we all are evangelists for something. We all talk about what we love. What do you find yourself talking about more than anything else? It's a hard question, isn't it? We all talk about what we love. Think about the last time you got really excited about something and you had to tell everyone you knew. That's what evangelism looks like. A couple years ago, like many of you, I got really into the Hamilton soundtrack. Like annoyingly into it. And I listened to it, I don't know, some 1,000 times a week. And uh, I I just couldn't stop talking about it. I still reference it a a lot. And like it was to the point where uh, my boss, who came into town only once a semester to hang out with me and talk. Uh, I spent half the day with him making him listen to the soundtrack in my car in a parking lot. So it was to that level. Uh, One semester in RUF at my old school, I had a Hamilton, quiet Hamilton reference in every single message that semester. Only the true loyal fans knew to listen. One time I even named an entire series after a line from Hamilton. I called it, the world turned upside down. That's actually an Acts reference. We'll get to that later. Hamilton's quoting Acts. Nevertheless. The thing is, I love the soundtrack so much. I still listen to it. I like it. Here's, the, here's, the, uh, here's a quick hint about me. I haven't seen the show. I haven't. One, I'm broke. Two, I would love to see it, right? Like, I tell people about this thing all the time. I've caught everything I can on YouTube or whatever, but I haven't fully experienced Hamilton, if I'm honest. I love it. I tell people about it. I haven't actually fully experienced it yet. Just imagine how annoying I'll be 
that one day when I'm 57 and I finally see it. I'm going to call all of y'all. I just saw it. Anyway. Some of you, let me just talk to you for a minute. Some of you are trying to talk about a Jesus that you haven't really experienced yet. You're trying to put words to experiences that you don't actually know. I want to encourage you as you think about evangelism to think firstly about your experiences with Jesus. And for some of you, you immediately think about some experiences with Jesus. You think about the brokenness that you've experienced with him. The times where you've been found out. The times where you've been really hurt. And the times that Jesus entered into that pain with you. Boy, you talk about that. You talk about that. You talk about evangelism. Some of you maybe haven't had experiences. You have answers. You have texts. You have a message. But maybe you don't have experience on a deep level. And so what I want to encourage you as we end tonight. Is that you're not in the business of fixing other people. It's not your job as a Christian. You're not in the business of going and answering all of their questions. You can't. You're certainly not in the job of changing someone's heart. You can't. Your job, as Buster Bluth told us, is to talk about what a mess you are and what a good Savior he is. That's your job as an evangelist. That Jesus came into the world for even people like you. Have you found the lamb who was led to the slaughter? As Isaiah tells us in this passage. So that you could receive life. Who in humiliation justice was denied him. So that you could receive grace. Once that gets in you, you can't stop sneezing it. Is it in you? So I just want to encourage you as we end to... The first thing, if you want to be an evangelist, is to grow in your relationship with the Lord. That's what this time of your life could be so fruitful to that end. To grow deeper and more deeply in your relationship with the Lord. To grow in His grace. And then to begin praying for the Holy Spirit's leading. Nothing happened in this passage, we didn't talk about it a lot, without the Holy Spirit leading. Every single thing Philip did was the Holy Spirit led him. Pray. For the Holy Spirit's leading. Pray for that person that you may have already counted out. And you have said they would never fit in here. That was Russ's encouragement last week, right? Pick one person. Begin praying. And then open your mouth. And start talking. To your roommate. To your teammate. To your sorority sister or fraternity brother. To your classmate. To your sibling, your coworker, invite them to something like RUF. Include them in on your small group and watch the gospel go viral in your life and on the campus. We all want to be a part of something big. You already are. Let's open our mouth and start telling the world about it. Would you pray with me?